Uh, yeah, just before we begin our discussion of alias today, we'd like to include a content warning because there is a bit of discussion about sensitive subjects, such as sort of sexual violence um, and stuff like that. So just just be aware uh, that that's going to be included in this episode. Previously on the Trade Waiters, I wrote down here on my notes: great script, good art, bad comics. He's quite a prolific writer. Yeah. Um, I think currently he's probably writing about fifty percent of the Marvel universe. <laughs> 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 I mean, if you do the same thing enough times, it looks like a style choice instead of just like <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. a mistake because of lack of skills. You right. Know? So right. Like, uh, yeah. So I, I I do agree that it's very much Jessica Jones' relationship to superhero dumb as an industry. Welcome to the Trade Waiters. Uh, in today's episode, we will be continuing our look at Jessica Jones' Alias by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos. Last episode, we looked at the first two volumes of the series, and this episode, we will look at volumes three and four. And it will also include a very spoilery discussion of the TV show. That's right. And a spoilery discussion of the comic. Yes. Yeah. And also, I will just uh, remedy something from the last episode, which, last episode, I told you more than enough about Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Marvel writing phenom. Uh, I was just going to mention that uh, Michael Gatos has done a lot of work in Marvel comics, mostly with Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, he also worked on The Pulse with Brian Michael Bendis, and he also did a miniseries called Powerless and Daredevil Redemption. And he's also done some independent stories. So he did um, something from Virgin Comics called Snake Woman. And uh, Fox Atomics uh, comic published a series he did called The Nightmare Factory. And he's also done some work for 2000 AD. Um, And also included in this book, outside of Michael Gatos, the flashback sequences are primarily done by Mark Bagley who, uh, fun fact, got his career started by winning the Marvel tryout uh, book contest. So (laughs) Marvel put out a tryout book, he did the sample pages, and he was the one who got the job for the contest. That's funny. And he was actually the person illustrating Spider-Man when I first became a Spider-Man fan, and he was the one illustrating Ultimate Spider-Man when Brian Michael Bendis took over. So basically, Brian Michael Bendis is bringing all his friends in to draw these comics. Uh, Which never <laughs> happens otherwise. Right? Mm-hmm. No, never ever. And there's another uh, flashback by another artist, but I forget their name. Is that the painterly one? No, the yeah, manga-styled one. The watercolor. Uh, the watercolor is by Michael Gatos yeah, as well. Yeah, that's what I was oh, wondering. Oh, really? Yeah. But yeah, that's oh, right. I remember yeah. the manga That's style. interesting. The manga style yeah. with uh, Jean Grey, right? Yeah, the Jean Grey sequence I forget I'm the sure artist for. I'm sure it says at the beginning somewhere in the credits. We are the worst. For <laughs> Anyways, so while, while, we are, um, while we are looking that up, I will lead us off with a character revealing question. Okay. So, I'm Jeff Ellis, and my question to you is uh, what would you do if you had superpowers? Okay, what are the superpowers? Because that's important. It <laughs> is, it's true. Ooh. Well, all right. <laughs> what would you do if you had uh, Jessica Jones' superpowers? Hmm. I'm not sure I would actually do that much differently. What would I do with powers? Um, I already work all you? the time. <laughs> who, who are you, by uh, the way? I'm Jonathan Dalton, and I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I'm so glad you finally admitted it. <laughs> when have so I not well. admitted it? Yeah, welcome, I've been admitting that for years. Workaholic uh, meeting. <laughs> we're my not name, that anonymous. My name is Angela Mullick, and I'm also a workaholic at work. I like to say strength is not my greatest strength, so I would not say that anymore because <laughs> I would be strong, and I could, you know, open bolts and stuff that I have to get the guys to hold me. I know what I would do differently. I messed up my ankle a while ago, and I can't run laps around the school with the kids. When I tell them to run laps, I just walk them. I would be able to run laps again. Set a good example. Nice. I'm Kathleen Gross, and I wouldn't do much if I had Jessica Jones' powers, because I love a sedentary cartoonist lifestyle, 
but it would probably help me in my day job, because um, I lift a lot of things in my day job, so it would be good because I could lift all the heavy stuff I have to lift. Um, <laughs> what a bunch of boring people. Yeah, so we would go to work and just would, be better at it. I would, I would be a Much lot... Much like Jessica Jones, to be fair. Yeah, yeah that's true. I, I would be a lot more fearless on my bicycle, I think. Oh. Uh, slightly invulnerable. <laughs> and then had the ability to just fly if, like, a car swerved at me. So basically oh, what I you're saying... I have to call my roommate into the kitchen to open the jars for me. <laughs> oh, this I'd be able to reach the top shelf. Um, also, um... So wait, wait. I, I looked it up, and I was going to just say that the other artist I forgot to mention is Rick Mays. Okay. And so Rick Mays, if you see me at a convention, I guess you can punch me because I forgot to give you credit at the beginning of this episode. I, w- I was going to say, <laughs> uh, in your scenario there, Jeff, where you're describing what you do with superpowers, you just described Logan the Bike Courier. That's yeah. I would be Logan the Bike Courier. <laughs> Uh, which, if you'd like to read more about Logan the Bike Courier, you can go to my website, which I'll mention at the end of this episode. It's the oh, second it's, best off-model story about Wolverine I've ever read. Thank you. And only because the first is Spring Break Wolverine, which is legendary. I can't compete with Spring Break Wolverine. <laughs> no one can. It does, it's not on the internet anymore, unfortunately. What is it, though? It was Wolverine on Spring Break. He, he's just. It starts out as a, like a Wolverine story. I can't even remember the name of the artist, unfortunately. Uh, it was someone who worked in the industry, which is why this is not on the internet anymore. Because it was never approved by Marvel Comics. But Wolverine was uh, on his motorcycle, like riding down the coast, getting away from civilization, as he does from time to time. Uh, and accidentally winds up uh, in the middle of spring break with all these crazy teenagers, which is the worst thing if you're Wolverine. And he kind of blacks out and starts lashing out with his claws, and it ends badly. Uh, and Professor X has to show up psychically and pull him out. Oh, man. There's <laughs> right. one Wolver- just sidebar about Wolverine real quick, but Faith Aaron Hicks has a thing that she drew about Wolverine yeah, once. I I saw that, and it was quite good. She's great. Um, okay, so let's talk about <laughs> what we're here to talk yeah. about. Yeah, so <laughs> thanks for coming to our review of Wolverine Springbank. Yeah. <laughs> this is about Wolverine. The trade waiters. Yeah. So, uh, would you recommend Wolverine Spring Break, Jonathan? I would. Unfortunately, it is not accessible, and you will not be able to find it at your local library. Aww. Aww. All right, so we are getting into volumes three and four, wrapping up Alias, mm-hmm. starring our favorite character, Jessica Jones. Your pal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this first book uh, leads in with what I think is possibly the worst uh, <laughs> chapter of the whole series. So this goes back to my feeling of why am I not reading a book? Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first issue is Jessica Jones meets J. Jonah Jameson, uh, which I, speaking as a fi- Spider-Man fan, I like that character. I especially liked the way he was portrayed in the first movie of Spider-Man by J.K. Simmons, which I th- is, I think, how he's written in this chapter. Um, and how he's drawn, too, I think. Yeah, and, 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 and so anyways, the, the writing of the characters is spot on, but the execution, I think, is is horrible. Um, Michael Gatos makes up for it with beautiful, beautiful watercolor drawings, but I guess, like, they looked at the script and they gave up on even trying to letter it. And there's just this... And it's as a graphic designer, I'm also offended. Just this terrible, so hard-to-read font in black with white outlines laid over top of watercolor. And so it's not a comic. It's a script, like, merged with it's art. It's a movie script. He's yeah, it's literally writing a movie script. An illustrated yeah. movie script. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mind it. Maybe disguise the like fact the you'd rather be working in movies a little harder. I liked um, the paintings. I, they I were really good paintings. Yeah, I was like, um, when Jeff told us that this was Michael Gatos was doing this art as well, I was like even more impressed by Michael Gatos. This is mm. really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually kind of liked the the changing of format. It was kind of fun. I mean, I think that the lettering critiques are definitely valid. So I was reading this on the screen where I was like super zooming in on that stuff yeah. in chunks, but uh, like looking at the print copy, I mean, it's not the most legible and maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing or interesting way to incorporate that amount of text into these beautiful paintings, but I, I enjoyed that sort of, like, little little break uh, and, mm-hmm. and change-up. 
I just wanted it to be over <laughs> as I was reading it. I didn't think the story being told was that interesting or good either. The whole point of it is it sets up the relationship between Jessica and Jameson, uh, which, I mean... Well, it's also not very different from the rest of the story. It's not like a, a flashback or something. It's just more of the story. The story is progressing, and then for some reason we're flipped around in, into this world where comics don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's an AU. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The non-comics Marvel like, Universe well, AU. There's no way to just have a, a comic in comic form. Yeah. It reminds me of that. There's a, a Scott McCloud panel. I'm, I'm sure this is in Understanding Comics where he's talking about words and pictures and how if there's a scene where he has these two sort of stand-ins as the writer and the artist who go their separate ways. The artist travels in one direction to find the perfect art, the best art, the most representative, the most realistic art imaginable, and basically reinvents the Renaissance. Uh, and the writer goes off in another direction and writes these fantastic things, these wonderful novels, and then they turn around to reunite to create the best comics and find out that there's this huge gulf between them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this this is that on yeah. the page. Yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah. you go. Have yeah. we learned nothing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, does anyone want to talk about the, the plot of that little one-off? or Let's get the rest of the arc. So what, sure. Tell us what, what happens in this arc. <laughs> well, so in this arc, Jessica is basically uh, gets embroiled in another missing girl case. But in this case, uh, she is dealing with a missing superhero girl called Maddie Franklin who is apparently the third Spider-Woman, which I only vaguely recall ever <laughs> existing. And uh, and basically she has to track down uh, Maddie, who is actually uh, Jameson's adopted daughter. And so even though Jameson hates Jessica... Uh, and hates Spider-Man. And hates Spider-Man. And all superheroes. And hates all superheroes, Jameson has to come to Jessica for help and sort of deal with superhero people. And uh, and you also get a lot of nice development of uh, Scott and Jessica's relationship. Yeah. So I thought there was a lot going on in this arc that was really interesting. This is where the art and story started working together, ironically, mm-hmm. given the huge <laughs> stumble that was the first issue. Yeah, I mean, there's some really solid pages happening. I felt like this was the point where expressions, even though you had that same kind of beat panel style, the expressions changed enough between the panels that it, it read more like a comic to me and it had a bit more resonance and there was a little more breathing room and space in the art. I, this is where I started capping panels as well. So mm. what uh, I do when I read a book digitally is if I find something that's really striking, I'll take a screenshot. And mm. it's like I didn't start taking screenshots until this book. Okay. But some of the layouts were just really powerful and uh, the first Spider-Woman comes back, that was probably my favorite scene. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and then they find out that the girl has gone missing because people are taking her, like, fleshy tissue and getting high off of it. Which was really yes. dark and strange. That was yes. really dark. That was yeah. very dark. Um, that was a new element that they were introducing in in this time period in Marvel, was this idea of a drug that will temporarily give you superpowers. And the idea is that it was derived from mutant DNA. And so basically, uh, Bendis expanded this to sort of say that anyone with superpowers could be used as a source for this drug. Going back to this weird blurry line between mutants and superpowers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, I would say Bendis is trying his best to just say that, hey, they're all the same. Um, Because I don't think Maddie Franklin is supposed to be a mutant. But but yeah, basically, Jessica um, ends up teaming up with Jessica Drew, the original Spider-Woman, to find Maddie, and that's where they find out she's been involved in this uh, horrible, evil uh, drug cartel. Fun fact, um, when Bendis originally pitched this series to Marvel, he wanted Jessica Drew to be the main character. And Marvel said, you want Spider-Woman to do what? No, that's not happening. So he made a fictional character to base the series on, and then later... Marvel let him incorporate Jessica Drew as a, as, a, as a supporting character. So funny, because in comparison to Jessica Jones, I feel like Jessica Drew like burst onto the page full of personality. Mm-hmm. And like even though she has a past that we never hear about or learn about, I feel like I could latch onto her as a character way quicker. Mm. And uh, I really liked the scenes that she was in. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna... Like, I, I agree with uh, what you're saying about the character, but I think it would have been a mistake... 
to make her the protagonist of this series. I much, much prefer that this is a new, fresh character that he can write from scratch rather than someone who has a, a real pre-existing continuity. You know what's mm-hmm. so funny? I didn't even know until you just told me that she had no pre-existing continuity. <laughs> okay. You could have told me that she <laughs> was part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What's the difference? Why invent yeah. someone new if you're using all these other characters who do this <sighs> anyway? It's yeah. Yeah, kind of weird I honestly to me. just assumed that she was, like, some, showed some up bit character. some time. Because my only previous um, experience with uh, Jessica... Jones was, um, she shows up in, like, one of the newer Young Avengers things mm, that are okay. ages yeah. ago, but she shows up briefly in a storyline, and there's some mechanic where she winds up being back as her jewel self, and she's like, Ugh. so I just assumed it, sorry, <laughs> that was really eloquent, um, but, uh, word for word, I've been under the weather for so long, that is, Michael Bendis did not write that, that no, no, I think, I think that is literally what Jessica Jones would have said and sounded really like in that context, <laughs> um, but yeah, because of that, I just assumed that she was some really old character that they were just hmm. picking up. Yeah. See, I, I think like I'm coming at this having some experience with the Marvel Universe, and I find the, the points in this series where characters show up that I have read before, I really hated those points. Like, there's a point <laughs> where Speedball shows up. Oh, God. Uh, like, Speedball yes. is... Like, I read the, uh, the New Warriors when he was a member of that team way right. back... Uh, And I'm sure those comics were not well written. I have no interest in ever reading them again. But I I remember them fondly enough that when I see him portrayed in a way that is very different from how I remember, I'm like, I don't don't want this. I would rather have a new made-up character Mm. instead of this character I have this nostalgia for right. being presented as a complete washed up Speed- useless character. Yeah. Speedball is definitely the butt of the joke at yeah. the end of this uh, arc. Which if basically that's how his character had been written before, I, then sure enough. But if if it's yeah. like suddenly this writer steps in and says, Ha ha, you all hate Speedball, right? Well, I don't hate Speedball. Right. I think this is the I, problem when you write uh, someone else's character in a different way than is mm. familiar. Yes. Is you're kind of you're playing in someone else's playground, they're someone else's sandbox, and if you're gonna play with their toys wrong, it, it feels mm. wrong to me. I right. don't know. I, I also found that his insertion at the end, like he felt really different tonally than anyone that we'd seen right. from that so far. Mm. So yeah. it felt really like out of place to me. Yeah, I, that's I, true. All the I feel like one of the big points <clears throat> of Alias as a series is it really underscores this idea of like superheroes are people too. Yeah. And Speedball felt very less like a person. And even mm. just the way it's, like, colored, I don't know. Like, like even though there's quite a bit... I actually quite like the coloring in this series. There's, like, definitely different colors going on and different color palettes depending on location and stuff. But this particular scene, like, his color palette is so different from everything mm. leading up. Like, it's so much more vibrant. Yeah. And the, the sound effects on that page are just really incongruous with the rest yeah. of the lettering and just the aesthetic that's going on here. That it yeah, It's almost like that candy-coated yeah. uh, flashback version world is bleeding into her mm, world a yeah. little bit as more superheroes get yeah. involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have opinions about yeah. that style, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so but I, I, um, but I will say, like, um, like, I made a note to myself, like, Speedball didn't even need to be here. Like, I felt that at this moment in the story... Jessica Drew and Jessica Jones are basically kicking in a door to rescue Maddie Franklin, and they're just randomly, like, Speedball's already there, and he's screwing up saving the girl, and they end up having to save everyone. But I was just like, well, why did that need to happen? Like, you could have just had Jessica and Jessica kick in the door and just beat these guys up and save Maddie and just call it a day. You didn't have to have Speedball there at all. Yeah, they could have done well, if he's there to sort of expand on the world and say, here are some reasons why the stereotypical superhero storyline doesn't work very well, then I think you still need to write him as uh, a relatable character, where he's not yes. the butt of the joke, where he's yes. trying, but isn't good at this, or something right. like that. Well, and I, and I guess, actually, sorry, I was wrong. That I guess Speedball is there to knock Jessica out so she can have another non-sequitur flashback from your favorite <laughs> artist. Uh, well, that makes me sound really rude. Um, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, that flashback also, like, 
because I was just going through uh, the books today, um, refresh, but um, that flashback is also supposed to sort of like lay the seeds for the book that comes after this one, but it's not, it's not really enough. Hmm. I don't know. It's not enough of a, a pattern. Yeah, I agree with you. We've I, got I three like crumbs now and not just one. <laughs> but it feels like three of the same crumbs. Yeah. yeah. Because uh-huh. the flashbacks, they tell us pretty much the same thing, is that, oh, she was a superhero, something happened. Which we already knew, and it's like yeah. we didn't even need the flashback to get that information. Yeah. And this one also like takes place in a void. Um, <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> which doesn't give a lot of context to hint that, yeah, this is actually supposed to be kind of hinting at, at the past. That mm. it's more like, because it, it could be just fantasies about, you know, these superheroes in her world, as opposed mm. to like these superheroes that she actually interacted with, but... I do want to put a point in as well. These flashback sequences, you mentioned at the beginning that what you liked about Michael Gatos's work is how not male gazy it was. And then I felt like oh, as God. soon as it shifts, it's such a slap in that's, the face. And it's like, I remember why, so why I don't read superheroes. Upsetting and why, well, not upsetting, but you know, what, it t- immediately took me out and I was so turned off. It's like, it's really frustrating as a reader and as a woman to like constantly be. Um, subject to this kind of portrayal and like I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with sexy comics mm-hmm. it's just when that is like the standard mm-hmm. and the baseline and yeah. you know I, I think like that everyone is like is sexy mm-hmm. all the time when it's not supposed to be like a sexy yeah. comic and yeah. it was frustrating mm-hmm. it was frustrating to me at this point by this point now I had actually come to know Jessica Jones yeah. and it was like doubly this taking me out this is not Jessica it. Jones she doesn't look like this <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, you couldn't tell. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I grew up reading a lot, of, looking at this guy's pictures a lot, and he has a very particular way he draws a woman. But that's not Jessica Jones. Like, I don't know who that is, but that's not her face. That's not her bone structure. Like, this is just some generic woman with pink hair, right? But I feel like um, there's a lot of superhero comics, and, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I think that what they were going for is that they had this idea that okay, so Jessica's grounded. She's got this Michael Gatos art. We want to, when we reference her superhero past, we want to bring in a classic superhero artist. So we're going to get a classic style going. But it is very incongruous with Gatos's work. And it would have been better to maybe have Gatos kind of homage a superhero style and somewhat. It's, it's interesting. Or maybe change the color palette. It, it happens better later on. Yes. There's a scene later in the fourth book where uh, she goes through this part where she has her superhero powers and then she's... She has her her injury. She has her uh, entrapment. Her origin story. Her origin story, I guess, and (laughs) is brought back into the real world. And there's this kind of gradual transition between this style and Mm -hmm. the grounded style, which I thought was really well. Well, I mean, I think I mean we're we're basically done with the third book, so we can maybe start on the fourth book. But so like the we the the third book is all about saving Maddie Franklin, and it kind of ends really nicely with catching up with Maddie at the end and seeing that. Well, yes and no. I I did enjoy the fact that this whole book had one arc that it was following, Mm -hmm. whereas the other ones had smaller case fakes. I thought this was a little bit more strong that way. But at the end, they had the same kind of problem where they left these crimes that were never resolved. Mm. Like, why was Maddie in Jessica Jones' apartment? Who was she talking about when it was the day? They literally never come back to it. Right, you're right, yeah. One thing I did like about that scene is, like, er earlier on in the book, like, I didn't, it didn't really clue in, um, just because of the style of drawing, that Maddie was supposed to be sort of, like, more emaciated, mm-hmm. but, like, by the time you get to that last scene, you're like, oh, she's really filled out, like, yeah. she's clearly healthier now, yeah. so I kind of liked that, uh, specific art choice to, like, show that change. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's a credit to Michael Gatos as an artist again, oh, yeah. uh, which, um, so, so the end of, of, uh, of this arc, it looks like we're finally going to get into the nitty-gritty of Jessica's past, which is book four, right. where we finally go through, we begin with her origin story. Uh, and, and I was just going to point out that this page is Michael Gatos again, and this is him homaging Steve Ditko, which is like a classic 60s oh. artist. And it so, says from Ditko at yeah, the yeah, corner. It says, yeah. After Ditko. I really enjoyed the drawings in this Section like yeah. that's more what I think when I think classic superhero. Because yeah. you were saying that that other guy is what they were trying to bring in someone classic, whereas I see that as very like, um, and this is me coming from the outside 
um, but like very kind of like 2000s. Yeah, maybe? well, like or a little bit. Before I, w- I would even say know. 90s. He was but very like, 90s classic. So that to me is not classic. That's sort of like this weird trendy. Um, right. Extreme with the capital X. Right. Um, I always, I always describe that era as super? mannerism. It's okay. it is to the superhero art of the 60s, 70s, 80s as mannerism was to the Renaissance. Yeah. Where it's kind of we're not going to look. Deep. <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Too many art history classes. But it's like, it's like you're you you're not looking and studying at the human body. You're looking and studying at Renaissance art, oh, okay. and then mm-hmm. your people look like this weird composite monster of stuff yeah. stuck together. Yeah, like that's the '90s. No, and I, I agree. And I I think that if they wanted to reference a, a superhero past, this is the better approach, where you have Gatos doing a more clean line style. And they also bring in really primary colors. So, like, the background's, like, solid primary yellow. And it's got a bit of that paper texture that you yeah. get in newsprint comics. Like, yeah. I, I really enjoy it. This is way more effective. Yeah. I like it as well. Yeah. And, and it had way more emotional weight to it because I found, you know, later on in the, in the book, uh, there are some, like, really upsetting emotional scenes that happen, but they're drawn in this, uh, I'm sorry, but, like, awful stylized way that the emotion is not there. It's like a parody of an emotion. No, I, I totally agree. I think that if Gatos had done his style, it would have been more appropriate to really getting people on board with the emotional impact of some of the things that they're talking about. And I think that having Bagley do it did a disservice to a lot of those flashbacks. It might have been interesting to see Gatos ape a, a more manneristic yeah. uh, superhero style, actually. Yeah. It would have kept that tonal consistency mm. while still creating this homage and this mm-hmm. division that they were trying to create. Like I think uh, part of what makes the art work in this series is that Gatos understands the the sort of the context. Like his, it's a story about Jessica, and Jessica is not a superhero. Even when she's in a costume, she's not a superhero. And so when he write when he draws this flashback at the beginning of Volume Four, that carries through. Where like this is still. Jessica. It mm. looks like Jessica. It's like yeah. she's got the same face. Yeah. And you can see like th- enough of it that it's like the the way he does the shadows and everything like even if you're a fantastic artist you can never 100% completely change your style. There's going to be bits and pieces that show yeah. up. And I think that is very effective. Yeah. This it. is a great approach to the flashback was the early stuff that's really got like it's Gatos but just doing a little bit of a different take on his style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is really effective work and and I, I also really just think this area worked really well too cuz I thought it really embodied like that high school teenage angst. Like there was just a lot of really it really played out really well. She really fleshed out her as a human being and as a character. Uh, I thought they did a good job in 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 her kind of adolescence um and then when she actually becomes a superhero it starts to go a little like, with the art change, it really starts to shift it off off balance. Yeah. It's weird that she had a crush on Peter Parker. For time-wise, that was strange to me. I, I was going to ask about odd. that. Um, like, like what do you guys like, think well, about how that? how old is Jessica? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well uh, this uh, is... Wait, wait, wait. Let me, okay. Um, Marvel history is complicated. <laughs> because Period. time doesn't travel... It doesn't, doesn't pass at the same rate in the Marvel Universe as it does in the rest of the world. Uh, and it's even more complicated now than it was when I was reading. When I was reading, at least they had a number where they could say three years of reading comics is like one year of time passing for the characters. Okay. Which is why you have Peter Parker is not 60 years old. Uh, but at this point, they've even given up on that, and I don't know what's going on I, anymore. I, I think that basically, like, Jessica Jones is supposed to be the same age as... Peter Parker okay. currently, so they're just like, well, then she'll be a teenager when he was a teenager. I like, know it just seemed it. It was weird I, to me. I, I would say that um, I I I, I, I enjoyed that I enjoyed that Jessica was going to the same high school as Peter Parker, and that she was also being tormented by the same bully that Peter Parker was tormented by. Because if you're at the same high school, you're going to deal with the same bully. But I felt like maybe you didn't need to even have Peter Parker interact with her. You could have just sort of paid lip service to, hey, they're at the same high school. And they barely did. Which, yeah, fair enough. Like, I I don't know. This is me again, like, not wanting uh, canon characters to keep showing up. But um, (laughs) I feel like it kind of takes away from her character to have her Mm. in the Peter Parker 
yes. soap opera from the start. Like, rather than be someone who kind of shows up at the end only because she has powers yeah. and now she's part of this world. Yeah. yeah, for example, like, if she had gotten, like, she said she ate some radioactive bubblegum as a joke at some point. Like, yeah. if that was related to how Peter Parker got his powers, then maybe, but it didn't end up being that way. No, so yeah, it could have no. just been some rando boy yeah. that hmm. she had a crush on. There's also, like, a conversation in an earlier book where she and Carol are talking and she has some throwaway line about saying something to Spider-Man. So I found that, like, in... <laughs> conjunction with the flashback to high school where she's going to high school with Peter Parker a little confusing because I was like wait does she know his identity or yeah. does mm. she not like I, right, yeah. It, yeah. I mean it's not integral that yeah. I, I, to the story or my no, understanding what, of it to know yeah. this but Do I was just all like superheroes yeah. know each other's superhero secret identities no, because she knows Ant-Man <laughs> yeah, and they right. talk about that like it's no big but, thing but yeah. all of a sudden Daredevil and she's working <clears> for yeah. him and she says he hasn't confirmed that he knows yeah. his secret identity but everyone right. really kind of yeah, knows yeah, yeah, and it's like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it, it raised some questions for me, but overall it didn't, you know, yeah. impede me going forward. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 for sure. And I just wanted to say I really liked Jessica's first act of heroism, where the scorpion is trying to rob a laundromat. And I like that first he, like, breaks in his laundromat, and then everyone's just like, I, I, I just bought my laundry and some quarters. Like, I don't know what else you want from me, dude. And he's getting all upset because no one actually has money for him at this laundromat, and then Jessica accidentally drops on top of him and knocks him unconscious. Yeah, that was I, a fun scene. I think that was great. Like, the, the writing in this scene is also really good. I, I like, like, this feels like the one of the best examples of putting a non-superhero character in a superhero universe where she just really doesn't fit in with the rest of the storyline. And she knows it, and everybody else knows it. Uh, she, like, hasn't maybe consciously figured this out yet, but she's gonna. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I would say the beginning chapter where it kind of goes into her origin, and it's got Michael Gatos doing the art, I think that that was a great little self-contained origin story. It really informed you about Jessica, and, and, and it kind of warmed her up because you see... You see her before she kind of closes herself off and, and has her, her traumatic experiences. So, sort of, I don't know, it was, it was good. Yeah. Um, I liked the little bit following that, um, just because you have the page up there where the guy from the Savage Land comes and, like, <laughs> asks her to do something. And it's this so weird little strange. red herring. I, I enjoyed it. It was like this red herring because I was like, oh, are we going, oh, is that what we're going to do? And she's like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> this is not who I am. Yeah. Peace. Bye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to find your tiger for you. I don't want to fly to Antarctica. That doesn't sound like a good time. Yeah, like, yeah, that was good. <laughs> it was kind of... <laughs> for me because it's like oh god are we gonna do that that is not what i want to read yeah <laughs> and then Jessica yeah. turned it down and went off and did other stuff. Uh, as a side note, uh, the point where I stopped reading superhero comics was uh, in Extreme X-Men when Chris Claremont decided to have his Extreme X-Men travel to the Savage Land through like some kind of underground tunnel where they were fighting. I don't even remember what. <laughs> so uh, the Savage Land is basically my breaking point, And I yeah. appreciate that <laughs> Jessica Jones recognized the same breaking point as yeah. me personally yeah. and said, hmm, no thanks. Yeah, you want me Good to luck with that? Way to fly to your jungle in Antarctica where there are dinosaurs, so I can find your tiger. Thanks, but no thanks. See you later. Yeah, no, that was good. That was a good, good little mic drop moment for Jessica there. Um, and then she comes home from that to get a voice a voice message that um, people want her to help them with the Purple Man, and this is where we really get into the final arc. Um, and we get to find out sort of why Jessica stopped being a superhero. Which I will say, finally, after, <laughs> like, I really, really, I, I thought this was an interesting arc, and I thought that the whole work would be a lot stronger if there was more alluded to. Like, this is the first oh, time yeah. you've actually heard the name, the Purple Man. Yeah. yeah. And it would have held so much weight if mm. it had been dropped a little bit earlier, right. you know? And that's that's going to lead interesting into some of my thoughts on the, the Netflix series, mm. but... Um, but basically, after she gets the message, she shows up at Avengers Mansion, and she yells at her friend Carol, who passed her number forward to these people. And I thought this was just really well done in how upset Jessica is that her friend is kind of trying to force her to confront this thing that she just doesn't want to confront. And um, you can tell that there's a lot of emotion there. And it, I think it, even though it wasn't alluded to enough leading up, I think her reaction here helps inform that this is a real big deal to her and that this is like not okay. And that, you know, well, I mean, this is, big thing for oh, 
terrible thing to do. It was an yeah. awful thing for Carol to do. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, we refer to them as friends, but... I, yeah, I like, mean, Carol's mm. kind of a bee. Their <laughs> relationship is difficult at best. Right, um, right. Like it's, it's she's, more, she's like a frenemy. Yeah, it's right. more like they're in a similar situation. They've had a shared experience, and they're maybe the only people they have in the vicinity to be able to process these mm. experiences. But right. it's, it's like a quote-unquote friendship formed out of we are in this space and I've had this experience and there's no one else to talk to. You know right. what it reminds me of? It's like being the only other chick at a firm. Right? Uh, like, uh, like, you're in a, a, an yep. engineering context or something like that where it's mm. very, very male-dominated and there's another woman. It's like, you have this kinship, you know, naturally. Whether or not you're friends is kind of up to chance. Right? You know, like, <laughs> friendships form, yeah. friendships may not form, but you, you kind of have this friendship by default. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, we'll put the two women together, that'll, yeah. that'll go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's a good, that's a good um, analogy. Like, it feels um, like Jessica, like, if Carol is the one that Jessica spends most time talking to, like, Jessica doesn't really have any friends. Mm. Well, she doesn't, really. <laughs> well, in yeah. a way, you're right. Luke, yeah. Luke, Luke Cage becomes uh, her only friend, really. She only but, has frenemies. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I was just really going to quickly say that, I mean, I dealt, generally this is trying to lead up to a really dark finish, oh, um, and um, I would say that, like, I noticed that at the same time they're throwing a lot more humor in at moments, mm. like like having Ant-Man, like, he crashes in, he, like, he sneaks into her taxi when she's storming away, and then they have a fight and she leaves him. And then he says to the taxi driver, like, can we drive back to the mansion, because my, my, my wallet's not in my suit. Like, I don't know, it's just, like, this wacky, like, <laughs> is, trying to, like, humanize the, the characters a little bit. Um, but anyways, so ultimately Jessica does go to confront her issues with the Purple Man, and so she meets a room full of people, and um, it's really disturbing because what you find out is that all the people in this room have had a friend or family member killed or otherwise uh, harmed by this man uh, named Kilgrave, who is purple. In this comic, he is purple, and the main thing with him is that he, I guess through some whatever hand-wavy superhero-ness, exudes uh, chemicals that are uh, hypno hypnogenic or whatever, and will cause you to do what he says. It you, you lose your free will. Yeah, you lose your free will in his presence. And this is written to really show the horror of what would happen if a person could override other people's free will. See, that's interesting, because that's not what I took it. Okay, how did you take it? Well, it was it was odd to me, because it sounded like it was trying to be an analog for domestic abuse. And what was so interesting to me about the Purple Man is, like, this kind of thing happens in real life, and you don't need superpowers. You don't need to override your free will. You can do it with manipulation. Mm. And you could be in an eight-month horrible relationship that would mess you up as badly as Jessica Jones was messed up. Mm. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought, I don't even think it's strong enough to have Kilgrave as a quote-unquote villain. Mm. I thought this story would be way more interesting if she was in a relationship with another superhero and he was just a manipulative dick. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I agree, actually. I think you should have been writing this. I should have been writing I found, like, the entire arc with the Purple Man ultimately ended on a bit of a disappointing note. Like, mm. it didn't really feel like there was a serious climax, even though the stakes were really high but they didn't pay off in any mm. way. Um, yeah. Nope. And the, the art style was also frustrating in the yeah. same way again, because you're having yes. all these really core emotional moments for Jessica, and it, it doesn't look like Jessica at all. Right. And also, it's it's like this really unfortunate and upsetting situation of, like you said, domestic abuse, and yet she's drawn in this way where the reader is supposed to find her sexy, Yeah. and she's in this like awful situation. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Yeah, this... It's not an empathetic way to portray this situation. Yeah. Yes, is the way. Uh, no, and I agree. Like, so, I mean, maybe just for some, some context to the listeners, like, so obviously we've established that Kilgrave can override your free will, and so Jessica goes on a, a binge and wakes up at Luke Cage's, and uh, it sounds like nothing happened this time. He, she just showed up drunk, and he let her sleep it off, and she decides to open up to him and, and actually confess what her major issue is, which is she talks about how when she was her superhero identity, Jewel, she ran into the Purple Man and he 
kept her in his presence for eight months. And uh, what's more disturbing is that, I mean, he has the ability to override her free will, and what she says is that he doesn't actually take sexual advantage of her. He makes her want for him to take sexual advantage of her and then denies it of her. And then there's like an offhand comment about how he is taking sexual advantage of lots of other women in this time period. And, and I would say that this is really... I agree. It was, no, odd. It, was, it was odd, but I would just say like they're really trying to go for something really heavy-handed with, with what the Kilgrave is doing to her, and yet the presentation of that... In, is drawn in this way that it's like supposed to be this tantalizing art style, and it, and it doesn't work because you know, like, there's a, a later scene where like there's like uh, she's got like her top open, and then there's like two women having yeah, like having sex on a bed, and like it's drawn in this total cheesecake like exploitive way, which doesn't address the problematic aspects of what's going on in the situation, and and in. I think that they're trying to make the Purple Man like the worst possible person, the worst villain imaginable, and I think the art style really works counter to what they're trying to do, where if if they had Gatos doing it, I think you would have a little more of that emotional impact of what you're supposed to feel when you're reading those flashbacks. Well, what's incredible is that you have the scene where she wakes up in Luke Cage's apartment, and even just as she's starting to confess, that scene where she's there on the couch with Luke Cage, mm-hmm. that had carried way, way more emotional yeah. resonance mm-hmm. in one page oh, yeah. than these yeah. following sequences in flashbacks. Like, the the script, too, though, I, I don't know. It feels like the first draft of what should be a much better story. Mm. Um... Like, I have only said good things so far, I think, about Brian Michael Bendis' writing, but this, like, this arc just didn't work for me very well. Oh, man. In addition, the surprise she's pregnant. Oh, yeah. I hate that trope so much. Mm. It is one of my least favorite tropes in anything ever, and you can see it coming a mile away because (laughs) it's always like, oh, um, a female character is throwing up. Maybe she casually touches her stomach. Okay, we know she's going to be pregnant. Yeah. Right. Right. As someone who throws up casually a lot, Mm. you know, like, it (laughs) really bothers me. Right. (laughs) It's like, no, I'm just throwing up. It's okay. It's so awful. I hate it. And then she ends up with Luke Gage. Like, what? It was just just like, it was like, all this messy stuff was just like, like, the, I don't know, you've had a dinner and the table's a mess and to clean it up you just like pick up the tablecloth and tie it all up and you're like, oh, this looks lovely now, you can't see any of the mess. Everything is great. Dishes are done. Yeah. I, 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 I will, I actually will mention that like when, when Alias concluded the follow-up to this was a series called Pulse, which brought Jessica into the regular code-approved Marvel Universe, so it cleaned itself up, it lost some of its edge, and the plot focused on Jessica's new budding relationship with Luke Cage and their child together and her new job at the Daily Bugle, and I did not read it and I have no interest in yeah, reading it. Yeah, I won't be reading those books. Um, at the end, Jessica does confront Kilgrave, so she does go to the prison, the super supervillain prison he's in, and she confronts him. And there's a weird um, narrative choice where the Purple Man, I guess, breaks down the fourth wall and yeah. describes oh, I hated the panels. So masturbatorial. Sorry, it felt a little bit masturbatorial because there's one part where he says something about like commenting on the writing or the art. Or oh yeah, something, and, and he it says, just "I'm felt, not like, the writer." This total flattery of the book, like, mm. which I generally do enjoy, like fourth wall breaking. Uh, within stories and comics, like it's a device. It made that no I think, sense here, though. Mm. Yeah, used yeah. in the right context yeah. can really work. But here, I was just like, oh man, this is just yeah. the creator's It, it, takes, it could, it could have been interesting if they had taken it way farther. Yes. Like if the way that he had manipulated her was to create oh. this whole delusion. If that maybe he was the writer. Book. Yeah, he was the writer. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like. Jessica Jones's life is revealed to be a comic book, and this is all of its right. Right, but they didn't do that. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, so they they try to do this Silence of the Lambs prison confrontation. She leaves that a little unsure of whether she kind of won that interaction or not. And then it's revealed that Kilgrave has broken out of the prison. And it looks like uh, he's killed Scott. That um, was like, when that, I was like... Holy crap. Yeah, that was very dark. And but then, it didn't actually happen. Well, and then I, I did I did actually think it was interesting that <laughs> it looked like he had killed Scott, and then it's revealed that he wanted her to think that 
Scott was dead, which is an interesting use of the power. I would say didn't fit with pre-existing. I felt said like it. that was the point when it really was like, oh, we gotta conclude this. Okay, let's move towards the end. Right. There was like you set it up with all these stakes, and then there was just no payoff. It was right. sort of like because I think well, that like reaching within yourself and finding a way to you know push through right. it and deal with it is like definitely a totally valid choice. But the way it was executed, no, it and that's just like yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. we gotta do this. And my my other yeah. This. It up. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, my other big issue is that so then we have the purple man takes Jessica out to, you know, the middle of New York. He gets everyone around to have a riot and he's controlling Jessica and when the superheroes come, he's like, You're gonna just kill the first superhero that shows up and it's looking really bleak for Jessica and then there's like this hand wavy Jean Grey machina. Jean yeah. Grey shows up and says, Hey, when I helped you, I gave you the ability to resist Kilgrave um, and suddenly she can resist Kilgrave. <laughs> and then she punches him in the face, and that's she finally is like taking out the guy that she she couldn't defeat before, and and then it ends with her being offered a job with the Avengers, and she's just like, no, seriously, I don't like superheroes. Which I will say, I did appreciate the fact that at the very end, they're like, like all the superheroes are like, yeah, you're one of us, you're so cool, and she's just like, no, guys, you don't get it. Like, I am not part of this club. I'm out of here. I thought that was really good. For the the end, I didn't have as much problem with her and Luke Cage and and the pregnancy as you guys did, but we're just um, it was yeah it was when it keeps coming up every single but yeah female now that you bring it up as a trope I I I I agree it it is part of that trope I think maybe at the time this was my first time experiencing that trope so Uh, I was sort of like probably not you're just not thinking about it the same way that we I'm male gazing (laughs) we gotta we gotta yeah sorry sorry we're running out of time um so brief. Briefly, yeah. Uh, um, Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, maybe I can go. Yeah. First yeah. Please do. I. Uh, Angela hasn't watched the Netflix no. show. No. Zero. I. I have been super ill, so I was like on the couch watching garbage, and I was like, maybe I will give the Netflix show a try. Um, I did not get all of the way through the first episode. I didn't enjoy it. I, get, I think also I'm just not the audience for this. Mm. Like at the end of the day, this is not made with someone like me in mind, but one of the the two big things that immediately turned me off while watching the show was what I appreciated about the comic was this lack of sexualizing the character in that very male gazy way, whereas the TV show, it felt like that was happening immediately. Um, like, the immediate voiceover has a sexy undertone to it. Mm. Um, in the comic, like, Jessica doesn't care about herself, and she's on this self-destructive path, and, like, in the way she dresses and the mm. way she holds herself and presents herself, that's really obvious in the show. She's very... She's got, like, a really nice, trendy outfit on, mm. and I think it's supposed to be Hollywood not caring about yourself, but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't right. translate. It was just too shiny and glossy, mm. and, like... Yes, I appreciated that there was a queer relationship in the show. That was, like, the one thing in the episode where I was like, oh, maybe I'll stick around for this. Mm. But overall, it just it felt like the same superhero garbage I have no interest in. Mm. No interest in just with a different cover on it. Right. Marketed a different way where they're saying, hey, we're doing something totally different. Right. But you open it up and you're like, no, this is what I had last time. <laughs> right. Um, right. Lied to me. And well, also was, um, I didn't like that Luke Cage and Jessica was their first meeting in the show. I much preferred in the book where they had an established relationship. Hmm. Hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah, I I pieced out at the, like, hotel scene where the girl's in bed and she can't move. I was like, this is enough for me. I'm gonna go (laughs) do something else. Right. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, But, but, yeah, so, I mean, I watched all of Jessica Jones, and uh, I I have mixed feelings. I would say that, um, at, at the end of the day, I felt about Alias the show the same way I felt about A.K.A. Jessica Jones, which is I love Jessica Jones, and I wish she was in slightly better stories. Um, I think the Netflix series had things that it did better. I would say that overall her relationship with Luke Cage is handled a lot better. Luke Cage is a better character in the Netflix universe. I would say David Tennant is absolutely terrifying as Kilgrave. Yes. Um, He's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, like, and I think he breathed way more life into that character than the comic ever did. Um, I think there was a big misstep in, in AKA Jessica Jones, which was that the focus of the entire series, like all 12 or 20 episodes, was Jessica and Kilgrave. And I felt that even though I think Kilgrave doesn't show up 
soon enough in the Alias comic series, I think that this the Netflix show made him the focus. And I think I would have preferred to see Jessica doing like a caper and establishing her universe first and then having Kilgrave show up to shatter that universe and, and really up the stakes at kind of the mid-season point. Ultimately, I think the conflict between them pays off much better. Jessica doesn't have a hand-wavy uh, Jean Grey moment. It turns out that because Kilgrave's powers are like chemical-based, she built up an immunity because he sp- spent eight months with her. He usually only makes people do stuff and encounters them for like an hour or, or, or a day. So after eight months, she became immune to his powers. And it actually stayed forever. So there's this moment where she's afraid that when she runs into him again, that he's going to force her to do stuff. And the twist is that like she actually has still free will. And so suddenly the dynamic shifts where Kilgrave's absolutely afraid of her and throwing all of her friends in in the way to protect himself because she's the one person that can defeat him. That sounds way more interesting as it a does. metaphor for abuse. Yeah. Like, I'll, I will say, like, I haven't finished watching the series because, I don't know, I'm busy. <laughs> but um, I do feel like, as, as at least in terms of the the Kilgrave arc, the, the series is the second draft that the book needed. Yes. It's, like, so many of the things that I didn't like about the Kilgrave arc in the, the comic have been fixed. Yes. In, yeah. in, the, in the series. Absolutely. And I will also say that... Um, also, I, I wanted to oh, add yes. uh, one very interesting difference that I thought perhaps speaks to the fact that the uh, the writer for the series is not Brian Michael Bendis, is that in the comic, she makes a point of saying that she was not raped. In the series, she makes a point of saying, I had no free will, that's rape. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I think they definitely deal with the problematic nature of Kilgrave much better in the Netflix series. And he's more terrifying in yes. that way. Like, he's yes. not talking yeah. to the camera about yeah. how he's in a Netflix no, series. No, no, no. Like, that, that would ruin yeah. it. Yeah, he's, he's, much, he's much scarier in, in, that, in, in, this, in the TV show. Although he's not uh, purple. Uh, yes, well, all that, I think that made him better. Yeah, He just was a guy that liked to wear purple. But I was also going to say that the other big change in the Netflix series that I really liked was that Carol Danvers is gone, and she's been replaced by Patsy Walker, uh, which I will reference as my floppy shout-out at the end here. But um, Patsy Walker is a different character, and she makes for a really good best friend to Jessica, and it really fleshes out the uh, female cast in this show. Um, finally makes a friend. Yeah, she, she <laughs> has. She has an established, and then she's an established Someone's friend from the beginning. To put up with her. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, so I mean, I think in a lot of ways, like I understand why they cast Kristen Ritter because she did such a good job of playing a damaged character in Breaking Bad. So they're like, well, she's a damaged superhero. Let's get her to play this. But I would say, um, looking at Gatos's drawings, I don't see Kristen Ritter. I would have gone with a different actress for a different look. I do think Kristen Ritter's acting portrays a lot of what I see in the character of Jessica Jones, um, which is why I would still say my big takeaway is I like the character a lot, and I just wish she was in slightly better stories, because I would say the Netflix series still is a little meandering and clunky, and and still has things that that need to be addressed, and I kind of wish I could mash the two things (laughs) together and kind of make a better story taking from both. So, are there any other final that's, that's thoughts on... We're, we're no, just final points. thoughts on Alias <laughs> at this point. Thoughts on Alias. Yeah. Would you, uh, recommend? would you recommend? Yeah, you know what, I actually... Hmm. I would recommend this to someone who is maybe looking for something to try with superhero comics. But, yeah. I mean, like, I I overall did, in despite, you know, the fact that I'm kind of down on some of the parts of this, I did enjoy it enjoy reading it, and if someone, you know, had watched Jessica Jones and wanted to know a little bit more, I'd say, yeah, go ahead, give the comic series a try. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there are specific arcs that I would definitely recommend to a lot of people. I, I think I would recommend this with caveats. Hmm. Like, I would recommend it, but say, you know, not all the arcs are going to be worth your time, but the ones that are worth your time are worth reading through the, uh, the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. Or do you want to jump yeah, in? I'm not sure I would recommend it. It's just not to my taste. Just at the end of the day, like it could not overcome those barriers. Mm. That are just—it's too right. much of a chasm to cross for right. me. 
Fair enough. Um, I mean, I would recommend it if you like the Netflix series and wanted to see where it all started. I would actually say if you want if you want to read Brian Michael Bendis doing really good detective crime, I would actually recommend you read Jinx, uh, which is one of his earlier comics, just because it's totally in a real-world setting, and it also deals with a really good female protagonist. Um, but I would, yeah, I would, I would read Alias as well. So, uh, should we do our uh, shout-outs? Because I was going to, specifically uh, for this one, I was going to shout-out AKA uh, Hellcat, uh, which is the series that deals with Patsy Walker, who was basically uh, an obscure character until they decided to cast her in this Netflix series. It's the one that's written by Kate Leth. Yes. And it's written by Kate Leth, and that is the number one reason why I would buy it, because Kate Leth is an awesome writer, and she also is backed up by an amazing artist. Who's uh, the artist Brittany on Brittany L. Williams. And the art is super fun. Mm. It has a real not-Marvel Comics feel. Um, and the plot basically centers around... Now, Patsy Walker is a superhero, but she has <coughs> lost her job. She got kicked out of her apartment, and at the end of the first issue, she gets a new roommate, and she at issue two, she's working retail. And she uses her superpowers to fight a shoplifter. <laughs> um, oh man, that's too real. <laughs> it's it's like it's really fun comics. Um, it doesn't need to tie in with anything else. And if you liked Patsy Walker in the Alias series, this is a really fun approach to the original character. Which I guess I will just throw out one little fun thing in the backstory of this is uh, Patsy Walker was originally a Archie ripoff character like a teen romance comic, and then they reappropriated her to make her a superhero. And so part of the plot line here is that her em- her arch nemesis from the original teen series is reprinting the teen comics and embarrassing her. <laughs> uh, which, I don't know, I just think was adorable. It's very meta. So anyways, I would read uh, the new Hellcat series by Kate Leth. Okay. And who are you? Oh, and I am... Let's do this out of order. I- I'm Jeff Ellis... And you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. Okay. Uh, I'm Angela Mellick. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca, and I shout out to Sleep. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. Oh, man, that is a good time. What yeah. am, am I all I am on face. board with that recommendation. <laughs> um, I'm Kathleen Gross, and you can find my comics at cagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X. And uh, I can't remember if I showed this out before or not, but I'm going to shout it out again. Anyways, Alex Robinson's new book, Our Expanding Universe. Really enjoyed it. Was very much looking forward to it. I've been waiting a long time for it. Uh, so yeah, it's a, that's a fun one. Well, fun. It's about um, men in their 30s trying to figure out their lives. So <laughs> that's fun to you. It's fun. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find my work at lostcitycomics.com. I haven't been, had time to read comics lately, but I do want to shout out the new mainstream, which is basically any comic that is a graphic novel published by a book publisher, because these things have taken over, and all my students read them, and they much prefer them to any other book, and I can, don't know how we got on without these. Can you give an example of one or two of them? I'll give you a long list. Uh, Smile, yeah. Drama, Amulet... Bone. Oh, what else have they been reading lately? All kinds of things. So but only one-word titles. Eh. <laughs> They're pretty quality, though. Good books, though. No, no, no. I, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, these books are great. Are you excited about the generation of cartoonists that's going to be raised on this? Website? I'm a little scared of the generation oh, yeah. of cartoonists who are going to surpass me, inevitably, because they're reading comics ten years before I started. Yeah, wow. It's exciting. Man. Maybe they're listening to this podcast right now. No, probably not. No, they're not. It's like my mom and Heather. (laughs) Oh. All right. Well, on that note, goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) This is not the end of the trade waiters. We will continue. We will carry on. Great last episode, everyone. We haven't haven't given up yet. It's good. Good. Oh, man. I'm glad to have this night. You're not allowed to quit. None of you are allowed to quit. You're in this for life. Um, our next episode we'll cover uh, we're going to do another longer series uh, as we did with uh, Jessica Jones this time we're going to do Hayao Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind 
So the next episode will cover the first half of Nausicaa. And then the episode after that will be the second half. I'm excited. Okay. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com or at tradewaiters.tumblr.com. <laughs> <laughs>